Welcome to the Hell of a Catholic Podcast. I'm Father Josh Allen, the chaplain at the Georgia Tech Catholic Center. This is Alex Carroll, focused missionary here at Tech. This is Patrick Lamar, student at Georgia Tech. That's right. So Patrick is joining us back on the podcast. He has been on with us before. Uh, just reminded us that he was on the Abraham and Isaac podcast, uh, uh, which was, I think, one of the better ones, um, mainly because at least we had the benefit of Scripture being involved. So there was something objective and good. Um, so we're happy to have you back, Patrick. And our happy podcast to today, we were sitting here talking about our topic, and Patrick uh, raised this point that a friend of his has asked him recently. So we're going to let him try to explain it, and that's going to be the topic for our podcast. Okay, so my friend raised a question about uh, monastic life and how he, he believes it's a selfish life because monks don't um, go out and make disciples or evangelize um, because they're right, they're secluded in whatever monastery they're at. So that was kind of the premise of the question. So the premise of the question is monks are selfish because they don't evangelize. Yes, it's not a question. Okay, well, that's the premise, the, 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 yeah. the point he's making, yeah. his argument. Mm -hmm. His argument <laughs> is monks are selfish because they don't evangelize. Okay, opening salvo. Alex, what do you think? Opening salvo. Okay. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience. I mean, what, what are we going to call the topic of this podcast? Are monks selfish? Oh, yeah. Or, um, yeah, that's a good one. Selfish monks. I tried to counter by saying, uh, no, they're not selfish. They pray for other people all day. They don't just pray for themselves. Granted, most of the reason, or the reason that I think that they're in the monastery is because, um, you know, they're trying to attain salvation by you know self mastery, if you will, by secluding themselves from like a sinful world and you know praying incessantly in order to uh, grow closer to God. I think uh, I definitely think that's part of it. Um, uh, well, let's talk about what is monasticism to start with, right? Yeah. Let's. I mean, if we're going to establish that a monk is selfish or not selfish, let's talk about what a monk. Let's talk about what a monk is. What a monk right? is. What a monk is a monk. Is uh, is a holy man who has taken vows of chast or uh, chastity, poverty, and obedience, uh, and sometimes like depending on the order, they have like vows like stability. Those are all minor vows, I, I think. Um, and so they live their life either uh, in cloister or they in community. Some of them, uh, some hermits, kind of live in solitude. Uh, but basically, you're sort of separating yourself from the world uh, in order to dedicate your life to prayer, to study, and to work. Um, kind of the three main things. Uh, there's also like teaching, there's preaching. Uh, other like there, depends on the order, depends on their kind of charism. But uh, the main point is to uh, step away from the world, step away from the worldly influence, to pray for the salvation of all people, to pray for the church, um, and yeah, sort of to to sort of work on this path of holiness uh, together in a community. Um, yeah, as monks, so. So yeah, so the monastic life itself is not reduced just to monks. There's plenty of religious sisters that live yeah, a monastic absolutely. life yeah. also, although right. we don't call them monks. Mm -hmm. um, so monastic, I think, um, I mean, I've looked up the the etymology of the word, but you know, one thinks mono, one, sure, right, okay. when you hear monastic. Mm -hmm. um, and so monastic life is this kind of interesting combination of a solitary life, mm -hmm. Uh, but also, in some cases, uh, or actually, in probably most cases, also a strong communal life. Sure. Right. So there's this kind of real solitary dimension to it, 
and then also a communal dimension. Although there are some monks who do not live, or they live a communal life, but it's a very different very kind separated, of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but I, I think the most popular type of mon- monasticism that people would have really encountered is probably Benedictines. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we just recently had some Benedictines come to speak at Georgia Tech Great from guys. the uh, monastery in Cullman, Alabama. St. Bernard's. St. Bernard's out in Cullman. And, um, Shout out. They have a great new video, actually. I wish I could like list off the website that it's on. It's fantastic. If you Google St. Bernard's Abbey in Cullman, Alabama, I bet it. their video is on their is on the front so. page of their website. It's it's really pretty impressive. Pretty stellar. Um, so I think there's like degrees of this monastic life, right? Mm-hmm. You have people that really live in the cloister. Yeah. They you're never gonna see them. Yeah. Right? So Cistercians would be a good example of that, right? In some degree, yeah. Yeah, it's um, totally closer. Right. Zero contact with the outside world. They don't really speak uh, right. at all. Life of silence, right? So yeah, Carthusians are kind of like Carthusians. Carthusians, that's the Yeah, yeah. Carthusians uh, live, a, really, they live a life of silence. They have, uh, I don't have a ton of experience with them, um, but they um, they live a solitary, like, hermit life mm-hmm. and like with, cells. within yeah. the... Within the Carthusian compound, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I mean, some of them it's like Super a monastery, but you live by yourself. Some of them it's like you each have your own little hermitage, but then you still come together for community stuff, mm-hmm. but you don't talk to each other. Yeah, but it's like they only come together. Well, they don't even come together for mass. They say mass on their own because they're all they're all priests. Um, it's crazy. Like that's the only thing they say is like mass, and I think their prayers. Like they're, I think they might pray together. Divine office, yeah. They pray the office together, and that's out loud. But besides that, they don't speak ever. Yeah. And so I want to know is how to join the Carthusians. You're not going to join the Carthusians. No, I'm not. I'm not you going never to make it. But like, <laughs> but like when you walk up to like the uh, you know, the monastery, you knock on the door. Like, does someone come answer and talk to you? Like, how no, they you... just stare at you? Yeah, and then what? They just like sort of like just like sort of envelop you into their. And you just like, keep talking and talking, just... and they just stare at you. <laughs> and, then, and then you're a Carthusian. And then you're a Carthusian. You, you stand talking. there and let them stare at you long enough. They, they no, probably I mean, couldn't kick you out. I'm sure they have. See, that's the thing. Any sort of yeah. cloistered order has to have somebody that operates outside of the cloister right. in order to keep the thing going. So I go to a CC regular. PR guy. I love a CC. And the, um, what's that? <laughs> PR, PR, PR guy. The PR guy. That's right. Public the uh, <laughs> poor Clares. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the those who are founded by St. Clair of Assisi, the poor Clares that are in Santa Chiara and where, where she's buried, um, there are two sisters that, in all of the years that I've been going, it's the same two sisters, right, really? that are kind of like the, there's a, there's a term for them, but I can't remember what it is, sure. um, that are kind of outside the monastery, and right. they handle stuff like mass requests, mm-hmm. and they're the sacristan, and you'll see one of them every once in a while go out to buy stuff for the Right. For the sisters and stuff like that. So somebody has to do that because you can't, you know, I mean, unless you're growing your own food inside the cloister, um, which these days probably doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to have some sort of commerce with the outside world. Well, so I imagine the Carthusians... You have to be replacing, you exactly. have to be joining more brothers or you're just going to die out in a generation. Exactly. The Carthusians, I'm right. sure, have yeah. someone like got that it. who's, you know, the guy who just can't stand it and he has to talk some. <laughs> the one guy. And everyone right. hates that guy. They're, so like, they're like, you have this job. Right, you've got this job. <laughs> Go talk to someone else. Quit so, breaking our silence. So there's these different types of monasticism. And it's like degrees of degrees of solitude, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then others, like, so the Benedictines, one of the major aspects of the Benedictine life is stability in the monastery, right? Mm-hmm. So they're not going to move from monastery to monastery. You join a monastery, 
and that's where you live the rest of your life. You're going to die there. Right? Yeah. That's where you're going to die. Now, there are some exceptions. For instance, um, one of the professors that I had in seminary in Rome um, was a priest and a monk of um, St. Vincent's Abbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. Oh, cool. It's not St. Vincent Abbey. I think maybe it is St. Vincent Abbey. I can't remember. But anyway, the Abbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. And, um, uh, but he was assigned so, to yeah. Rome to live in a diocesan seminary as the director of liturgy. Right, so he hadn't been in the monastery in mm-hmm. years and years and years and years. Wow. And it's so funny, like a monk, yeah. you know, they they get kind of monkish yeah. over time. And he's it's so funny. I sort of forget you know, how to like function. They're very lovable people. No, they're, screen, they're fantastic. You know? <laughs> if Brother Marion's listening to this, I'm sorry. I was joking. About That's it. right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're a great man. You know how to talk. About uh, so so we're talking about monks. What, what kind of degree of separation from from culture do we want to talk about? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of degrees, right? Let's talk about mm-hmm. all of them. Let's talk about everything from, say, the Poor Clares, who you join the Poor Clares, and I think the basic rule is you're allowed to see your family once a year, once a year. through the grate. Mm-hmm. Right? Shoot. Like, you don't even... So divider. You yeah. go to visit them, and there's, like, a visitation room, and then there's the room, there's you, mm-hmm. and then there's a wall with, like, like lattice mm-hmm. so that you can see through it. It's not like and there's the sister on the other side, right? Yeah. And you're seeing well, your family member see, that way. Seeing your, yeah, similar to seeing your family while you're in prison. Similar to seeing your family while you're in prison. I don't think they have to use the phone. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> well, in, uh, and my guess yeah. is they're probably allowed to pass them anything they want to. Yeah. You can put files in the yeah. cakes if you want. Well, I know, okay. metal detectors. So yeah. slightly different from... From prison, yeah, from your experience, a slight difference yeah. from yeah. prison okay. life. Yes, true. I'm not sure. You could probably ask a poor player about that, but we could probably make. I have to get one on the podcast. That's yeah, exactly. We'll go see if we can do a podcast <laughs> from the, the family visitation room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of the poor okay, players. so let's talk about them. All right. So, um, so in their case, what is it that they're doing? Right. First of all, I think we have to start by saying that someone who's who lives. A religious life, right? Somebody who lives in the religious life, they've been called to that by God, first of all. Right. So I think we have to start by saying God has called someone to this life. Mm-hmm. So that alone disqualifies the statement of your friend. Yeah. Right? That's that they're living a selfish yeah. life because they're doing X, Y, or Z. Well, if we accept the fact that this is a strong call from God, mm-hmm. then it's not selfish to respond to God's call, right? Right. Or perhaps he's going to make the argument that, well, they're not called. They're just trying to get away from the yeah, world. Yeah, they're just convincing themselves they're called. Like, I can be called to... So then my, my response to that would be now. So now we brought in a whole other issue that has yeah. nothing to do with monasticism. Right. And that is, do we ever get called by God to do anything? Mm-hmm. And how can we ever know that? Yeah. Right? And that that's kind of... We could talk about discernment. That's like a whole other yeah, podcast. Yeah, let's not talk about that. But I would actually say it's pretty easy to dismiss what your friend's concerned about. Mm-hmm. Um, at least the way it's presented that that way, by saying that you know God calls people into the monastery. So whatever it is He's calling us to do, is the most generous thing we can do. Um, and whether or not we can know what God's calling us to do is a whole other question. Mm-hmm. But He does make kind of another point, and 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 even if we kind of take it at face value, right. um, you still are left with the question of what benefit is the monk doing for the world, mm-hmm. which is right. maybe what he was really asking, right? Sure. right? Like, what's the benefit of the monk? Which is still kind of a stupid question. Like, what's the benefit of this guy's life? Like, what is he doing for God that's so much more beneficial than, you know, this well, monk is doing? Right? In, in, my, in my buddy's, uh, in his mind, I think, um, you know, making the most disciples 
is the greatest benefit to a person's life. Okay, so then let's let's take I think that. that's the only reason why he would say monks would live a selfish life because they're not associated sure. with the outside world. So let's take that that Basis. argument. Okay. And let's say, okay, when someone is made a disciple, right? When you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Who's responsible for that? Mm. I would say uh, God. Right. God. Okay, but first there's time. other this God is probably the first mm-hmm. and primary cause of yeah. it, right? But then he uses instant players, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. There's probably a lot of people along the way yeah. who play into that, right? Absolutely. So right. there's maybe the person who actually starts actually challenging you. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's the person who you see doing something that makes you think, Oh wow, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just uh, an event that happens in your life. Mm-hmm. All these other kind of things, right? When someone becomes a disciple, it's not like we can say that is the action of one person. Yeah, like, right. As if I could make a gajillion disciples if only I just got my act together, right? right. Although, at Patrick, seriously, <laughs> you could make a million disciples if you would just get your act together. You know, just saying. He makes a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't even deny it. Yeah, that's exactly right. But, you know, if, if we think I've about that way, right? not deny what Father Josh said. <laughs> <laughs> There's all these people involved. Right. Anybody that has a conversion, Absolutely. I can tell my conversion story, and I point out the major points along the way. And right, what those are, are the points along the way that I noticed. Yeah. There's all these other things that happen along the way that I never noticed. Mm-hmm. Right. So Saint Augustine, when he's writing his Confessions, this is the book of kind of his own story in his life. In that, he tells the story of all the events that happened along the way to his conversion. But he also kind of weaves in the story of his mother. Mm -hmm. Because his mother is instrumental in his conversion. His mother was praying for his conversion for his whole life. 20 years, Mm -hmm. she prayed for his conversion. But she didn't do much outside of praying for him. Aside from that, not really. really. She was very supportive of him. How'd they figure that one out? How'd they figure out his mother was praying for him? Augustine wrote it himself. Oh, so he did know. Yeah. Well, he found out afterwards. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so afterwards, he finds out that like his mom's been praying for his conversion for twenty years. His mom's also right. Saying, so we know that she's gone him. to visit this bishop and she's gone. She's done all this stuff, like really working for his conversion, sacrificing for him, all this right. stuff. Right. So he tells that story in the confessions because he knows, even though he didn't experience that along the way, he knows that was one of the main driving forces. Mm-hmm of what made him a disciple of Christ, right? So, and, and the main takeaway from that is, like, she didn't really do anything. She didn't have... I'm sure she had contact with her son. I'm sure she was a great example. But the primary, like, catalyst for this man's conversion was prayer, which he didn't see, which never really, like, directly affected his life, I guess. Like, I guess in those moments when he was away from the faith. But it ultimately was sort of the overarching, like, largest catalyst for his conversion. Yeah. So, And there's big people that, that played a role along the way. I sure. Mean, obviously, mm-hmm. Ambrose played a huge role. Right, yeah. Obviously, his involvement in the Manichaean heresy, all that stuff mm-hmm. played a big role. There's a lot of mm-hmm. things along the way sure. that made a difference. Um, he had a, a friend who had a big influence having his own son. That made a big difference. All these kind of his son dying. Um, these kind of things, like, had a huge influence on him. But in the background of the whole thing and the way... Augustine right. even writes, he recognizes yeah. like God had been calling him all along by all of these different means, right? He recognizes some of them, and some of them he won't even understand until he's in heaven and in eternity. So, right. well, I, I think on my just to counter that, who makes a bigger influence? The one who prays for you, the one who's you know sitting right in front of you, who you're associating with on a daily basis, who's like 
you know, the visual example of, um, you know, a good person or a holy well, I person. Think, I think even making, even trying to decide that is a hard thing, yeah. right? What, that, what we will give, happens. what we will attribute it to is the person who's in front of us, right? Right. That tends to be what we do. So I, I attribute well, this yeah. to this person who really pulled me through X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. right? Um, but in reality, like, that person's efforts without prayers being offered on your behalf would not have been fruitful, mm-hmm. right? So, which We're is the most influential? We're ignoring the spiritual dimension. Exactly. Like in the spiritual dimension, the church is constantly praying for the conversion of sinners, right? Right. And there are members in the church constantly praying for the yeah. conversion of sinners. Right? Some of those things you don't notice, but like how many uh, how many conversions would not have happened without prayer? You know, we can't measure that number. You know, there's no like quantitative results, but you know, it's one of the most important parts of the church and one of the most important parts of monastic life. And so, I think to address your friend's concern, I think prayer is absolutely directly evangelizing a lot of people. Um, and you know, how how would his efforts in evangelization be without the prayer of those monks or without your prayers or his family's prayers? Or it's the same thing we yeah. say when like we're asking people. To even on on this campus, so you're gonna give a Bible study, or you're gonna approach someone to invite them to mass, or mm-hmm. something like that. To pray and offer some sort of sacrifice first, Absolutely. right? And it's not just that; it's like you're uniting your prayers and your sacrifice to all of the the thousands of years of okay. prayers and sacrifice that have been offered for the person you're about to go talk to, yeah. right? It's like there's been all this stuff that's been offered, and there's a group of people in the church that do this all the time. 24-7. Right? That is your religious living yeah. in the monastery. Like, like their job, their yeah. apostolate, right? What they're doing for the world right. is praying for the world. Mm-hmm. Like So Benedictines will describe praying the divine office as their apostolate. Absolutely. That is what they are doing. That's what they're supposed to do. They do it well. They never fail at it. They're always offering all these hours, mm-hmm. all these prayers, and the intention is for the church. And it's awesome. They describe themselves, sort of, well, at least some of the monks I've talked to, describe themselves as sort of the James Bond kind of Mission Impossible sect of the church, like the special ops of like this re- this reality of spiritual warfare and the reality of like battling every single day on the spiritual grounds, not only for themselves and for the monastery, but for the entire church as a whole. And like, what state would our church be in without those people praying? Is it's pretty impressive. Um, just to think about is really cool. So that's kind of the idea. You know, St. Paul talks about the church being a body, right? And every single person has a role to play in the church the way that a body has different things. And mm-hmm. your hand does what a hand does. Your foot does what a foot does. Your brain does what a brain does, right? And if the hand tries to become the brain, uh, this things are never going to work. Yeah. And if there's no brain, the hand's not going to be able to do what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So the church also, right? So we have cloistered religious. We have active or kind of mendicant religious. We have uh, diocesan priests. We have all these women religious uh, in their various forms. We have lay people who are married. We have people who are unmarried. We have all of these things. Everybody kind of living in their own way a formal or an informal consecration mm-hmm. to God and to the church playing their role. Right? So this one big complex picture in which we play our part. And if we play our part well, we've done our job. But right. our part's just one part, right. right? We need all the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that was kind of what I was thinking. <laughs> <The whole laughs> What'd you time. tell the guy whenever I didn't verbalize it. I, I said, 
Yeah, I, I brought up prayer. Did you bring I up brought, the whole James Bond thing? I didn't bring up James Bond. Let's not Bond. talk about that. That's a little That's weird. That's cool. Yeah, That's awesome. Weird. I think it is kind of cool. Because, like, I, when I was thinking Spiritual about when, when, good, I, when Spiritual Warfare deal, when I was talking about, I think only recently have, you know, the Navy SEALs and the Delta Force um, have, like, come to, I don't know, the come to light in... Um, I guess media for blowing them up as like these heroes and stuff. Right. When doing things that their no whole one else is op- to right, do. their yeah. whole operation is like clandestinely carried on, and that's kind of how monks operate in the church. Sure, yeah. Um, they're not going to be on the headlines per se, yeah. but they're working in the background. And no, that's like, a good analogy though, because we're talking about evangelization. You guys talking about you know I'd rather have the guy who's kind of the the hands and feet of the church out there actually evangelizing people face to face. Well, like. You know the the monks and the monastic those in the religious life they're they're the, sort of the clandestine operations of the people that aren't getting any credit for anything they're doing, and they're they're planting those seeds right even by their example but especially by their prayers and like like we talked about a, a conversion happens over a long period of time generally and there's a lot of seeds being planted throughout the way, and I don't think anyone can take credit for an entire conversion like Father Josh is saying sure maybe you were happened to be in the right place at the right time and this person you're able to be an influential part in someone's conversion but like. You're never you're never responsible for someone's conversion, yeah. despite who you are. Um, yeah. I was gonna bring up the role, um, the role point, but I think he kind of dismissed that by his statement about a selfish life. So the role is insignificant because it's selfish. Mm. Yeah, right? but it's so not I, selfish. I so that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, right. So let's even talk about. I mean, we could talk briefly about what it means sure. to be selfish, right? So like somebody who is a monk are they selfish Mm. like choosing themselves over others my guess is your friends never met a monk yeah or really know Um, what what a monk's like life is right think of all the things that a monk has to give i mean it is a life completely counter lot of renunciation yeah i mean these guys no doubt like this is the same friend who referred to me uh the thomas akempis's book about um the, or titled the, the imitation, imitation of, of Christ, Christ. like yeah. best-selling yeah. spiritual book of all time. Great yeah. book, right? He think he thinks Thomas Akempis is wasn't he a monk? Yes, he was a monk. Yeah, and I the think book so, is yeah. directed toward monks. Yeah. Okay. but he would he's like Thomas Akempis. You know, I I think if we bring because it's a fraternity brother, right? He's saying if we bring uh, you know his this virtue that he speaks about to our fraternity and then we're an example to these people that you know, we, who we run into every day versus secluding ourselves in a place where no one can see us and no one can I don't know um, change their life because because we're not a light to them every right. day right? wait but this guy read a book written by a monk and that's how he came to that conclusion right well, no, he, it's, so, no he's, it, well, the, well the book is really directed toward monks right so if monks are able to live this life, that's mm-hmm. great. But what about the people in the real world? In the real world, yeah, yeah, that we see every day. We don't see a good example of that. Well, like so. In fairness, what, Thomas, he, is what he's saying. In fairness to Thomas Kempis, right? So when he's writing that book, he's writing to the only people he knows that can read, who are monks, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> um, but in, like in answer to your friend's kind of real point, which is, you know, we should be out sort of living this life in a way that people can see us. In his case, he probably should. Right? If Thomas Akempis had been doing that, he never would have written Mm -hmm. The Imitation of Christ. Which is why it's ironic, yeah. Right? He never would have written it. He never would have had the sufficient reflection and the quiet to really come to the realizations that he came to. 
right? So that's the thing. Everybody's got a role to play. I think that's so important for us all to understand. It's like we all have a role to play in the church. And if we play our role, everything's going to be fine. I don't have to worry about trying to compensate for somebody else's role or try to play somebody else's role. I do what I'm supposed to do. I do it faithfully and I do it generously. And you let God sort it out. Right. You know, but that includes accepting the fact that God calls us to all kinds of different lives. What your friend, I wonder if your friend would be open to the possibility that as much as he might think that this kind of life is not appropriate, what if God thinks it is? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like what if God thinks it's an appropriate kind of life? Mm-hmm. I mean, at any rate, so we love monks. Uh, encourage all of you to become monks. Not all of you, some of you. Um, especially the males. Some are that's right. Especially, well, no, no, there's like female mm-hmm. monastics too. Yeah, become a poor cleric. They're, they're wonderful. Um, and if you do, pray for me. I need it. Uh, all right, so this is the uh, Hell of a Catholic podcast. If you have any questions or comments, email us at podcast at gtcatholic.org. God bless.